my name is Rick Park, and a church member, one of the home group leaders here, and uh, very thankful to have my second opportunity to share the Word of God today. Um, sorry to say, I have no song and dance for you today. <laughs> for those of you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But let me just say a quick, uh, quick word to... I really encourage as many of you as, as, as possible, uh, if not all of you, like Justin uh, just said, um, you know, to, you know, if not, if for whatever reason you can't, you can't make it to that information night, um, you know, just make an effort to meet up with Justin, talk to him. Uh, we met at a meeting a few months back, uh, and then a couple of weeks ago we had lunch together and, and shared a really wonderful time of getting to know each other a little bit better and you know his, you know his dreams and visions, and I got to share a little bit of, you know, uh, you know what that is for me and for my family. And uh, again, hearing him kind of present all these things um, makes me want to <laughs> just join him in this, in this wonderful thing that the Lord has stirred in his heart. Uh, but I've already committed to Mercy Hill, so. <laughs> uh, but you just never know uh, until you take that step. Um, in terms of what, what, what the Lord is going to do in your own heart. I mean, you know, I've kind of done too much of, you know, thinking about things, but uh, it's those times that when we take steps, whatever that is, when take that step of, of faith and, and to see what the Lord does with that. It's just, uh, just wonderful experiences personally, so I want to really encourage you with that. Can we just pray one more, one more time for, for the message this morning? Father, we give you thanks for uh, just bringing us to this place in this time to worship you. We thank you that you are our God and that we are your people. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And this morning as we search your word uh, in Isaiah 42... Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, help us, Lord, to be open in our hearts, to be clear in our thinking. Holy Spirit, would you do a mighty work in all of us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 42 of Isaiah, I really need to go back to 41. Um, Obviously, there are certain connections, but uh, it's hard to begin 42 without connecting with 41. And the message starting in chapter 41 uh, and continuing, it's like a crescendo kind of building up in chapter 42. uh, And in the next uh, chapters to come, and and what the Lord was beginning to do, as in chapter 41 that Steve uh, preached on last week, about how God was, he was challenging, you know, whoever, whatever, you know, to compare with himself. And I just want to go back to 41 verse 29. To sum it all up at the end of that chapter, he says, Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. So whatever gods that people, sorry about that, 
Jerry's giving me the signal. The Bibles, yes. <laughs> if, if you don't have a Bible with you, please raise your hand. So whatever idols or gods that man created, bring them on. Okay, let's, let's do some comparing here. Bottom line is, they are all a delusion. Yes, the Bible talks about gods with a small g, but in fact, they are no gods. They are delusions. Their works, therefore, are nothing. And the images that man created are empty wind. And then he says, immediately in in chapter 42, verse 1, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And so from the delusion of false gods to the one and true God, my chosen servant. That's how it begins. And so the title uh, of chapter 42 is the chosen servant, God without equal. We can compare, and I think this is a very, very important message for us today, especially living in this culture in these times, because, well, starting with different religions, well, there are all kinds of religions, but even outside of religions, people have all kinds of beliefs. And we look to all kinds of things, both Christians and non-Christians, we look to all kinds of different things to give us what we think we need. So whether they be actual religions and these false gods, or, well, science, I believe, is a form of a religion as well. And it is a, a form of a god and an idol. We can look to science, we can look to education, we can look to money. And there are just many, many things in those major categories that we can look to for answers or to, prov- to provide the things that we feel that we need or to give, give us answers to questions of life, to give us answers to problems of life. But what God is saying in these chapters is that those things are all delusions. And there is only one and true God, this chosen servant of the Lord, who can do anything. So, in, in verses 1 through 8, it's this, this announcement of the servant of the Lord. And then, as this announcement is made, what this servant of the Lord will do. Now the servant in many places refers to the nation of Israel. But here, it has to refer to Jesus Christ. We're jumping a little bit, but uh, this is not a major assumption. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, it says this was to fulfill 
what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, and then uh, the next few verses up to verse 21, it is a direct quote of Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 3. So uh, that's kind of an obvious kind of a thing, but if we keep reading and then we keep studying uh, the book of Isaiah leading up to uh, the finally chapter 53, so starting from chapter 42, leading up to chapter 53, we find five, uh, what is referred to as the servant song or the servant poems. And each time it is descriptive of Jesus Christ, right, this redeemer that is to come. And finally, I mean, I think a lot of us are very familiar with uh, Isaiah 53. It is very, very descriptive of what Jesus Christ is going to do. Uh, and so it is not a far stretch. In fact, it is uh, starting here. We, we get a clear glimpse of what God is speaking about in terms of his chosen servant connecting to his message of chapter 41. People are looking to all these different things, false gods, different gods to deliver them where that's all a delusion. That's going to happen through one and only the chosen servant, God without equal, and this is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah to come. And also, he will be the only one to be faithful. Meaning that he will do exactly what he promises. There are times, I have to admit, that as we look to different things, it seems like we're getting answers or provisions of things that we need through them. But none of it is really dependable. In the end, none of it, none of those things are lasting. Only what God gives through Jesus Christ is faithful, are dependable, and are lasting. Now in the second section, in verses uh, 10 to 12, what he does is he calls the nations to declare his praise. So if you go to those verses, verses 10 to 12, he says, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. And so what he's calling all people to do is to declare his praise. For what reason? Well, a couple of reasons. One is for the new things that he, he declares before they take place. As in verse 9 we read, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And in this new thing that is revealing that is to come, there's going to be a display of his power. And I think Steve mentioned it last week about um, this power that he's going to raise, right? And again, 150 years prior to right, the King Cyrus, 
this power that he will raise to demolish the great power of that time, which is Babylon, through which God will deliver his people once again. And so for that reason, he says, declare his praise. The coming of this physical deliverance of Israel from Babylon. Again, the reference uh, to the King Cyrus that God raises. So if we look at it in, in, in the history of man, I mean, there are a lot of things that are very notable, very notable people, great people. But above it all, we have to be able to see God because God is the one sovereign and he's the one in control. So if we see many things like that in the Bible, only if we could see it by faith, and then to see our life in light of that, not just kind of looking at these old stories and going, wow, what great things you know, God has done, but to see presently what great things he continues to do in our lives and in the, in, in the life of everyone around the world, in fact. And so, you know, this, um, these great nations, powers that, that come up, spring up, overthrown by others, and so forth. A uh, little bit later on uh, in, in the book of Ezekiel and Daniel, uh, and in particular the story of Daniel, uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar has one of these, these dreams that he can't figure out and asks Daniel for the meaning of this dream. And in one of his dreams, he sees this, uh, this statue made of four different metals, and he's asking what that's all about. And then, you know, Daniel gives the interpretation of it. Again, going back to some, some connection with uh, what Steve mentioned last week, but at, during the, at that time, okay, the power was Babylon, the head made of gold, and then, you know, the torso made of silver, and then the midsection made of bronze, and then finally, the mixture of clay and iron, okay? So starting with Babylon, overthrown by Cyrus, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greeks come and take them, and then the Greeks are taken over by the Romans. And then the interesting thing in that dream, he mentions a small stone not made by hand that smites it, and then everything turns to powder, dust. And then this small stone, it grows and fills the whole world and gives a really, really great picture of God and his kingdom that no one can overthrow. Coming back presently in in our text today, this one and true God, he is the true power of the universe. And no one can overthrow this power. And so, For this reason, what God is doing, and throughout the history of the Israelites, over and over, deliverance of Israel. But there's a greater deliverance of God, a spiritual deliverance of God's chosen through this servant, Jesus Christ, that is to come. There's a repetitive story of deliverance of of redemption over and over in the Old Testament. And perhaps the greatest of those stories is a story that we know very, very well is God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt. And so God uses his servant at that time who was Moses 
who's a type of Jesus that God uses to take his people out of captivity, right? They were oppressed, they were in slavery, and he takes them out, he delivers them in a great way. And that story's been told um, over and over, over and over, from father to son, right? From father to son, generations and generations as a reminder of what God has done. And we still tell that story to our children today. But we're really missing the point if we stop at just telling the story of what God, you know, great thing that God did thousands of years ago because that story was telling a greater story of a greater servant of God, Jesus Christ, delivering his people out of the bondage and slavery of sin and evil. You know, when I first learned to look at the Old Testament through the eyes of the gospel, it it just changes a lot of things. You see Jesus Christ, you see the gospel message, over and over, God retelling the story of what is to come. Today, the difference, of course, in terms of you know, what we see in the Old Testament, uh, even though we see the deliverance of God's people by the great work of God, is that we are the recipients of the greatest deliverance as believers of Jesus Christ. And as we look back to these things, it serves as a reminder of that great work of God. And it all points to it. Listen to what Romans 6, verse 6 and 7 says. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In this last section, the third section, verses 18 through 25, God calls for Israel to turn to him. And he starts out by saying, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as a servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. He, his ears are open, but he does not hear. So he is speaking this word against, well, his servant, the, the Israelites, for being deaf and blind, to not hear what God has to say, and to not see what the Lord is doing. Now this is where I wanted to spend a little bit of a, kind of a focus time or emphasis on uh, because um, I think this, this is very, very applicable, very relevant, very important uh, for all of us because um, we find ourselves in situations. Now, for the Israelites, whenever they were uh, in a situation of suffering, it was on account of two things, basically. One was, 
it was a consequence of their sin or their disobedience to God. And so God, whether it's through leading them through wilderness, right, the desert, uh, God didn't have to do it. As I'm sure all of you know, uh, between Egypt and the promised land of Canaan, uh, it doesn't take 40 years to walk there, right? As I understand it, it takes you know, probably less than a month, maybe two or three weeks uh, walking distance between those two places. But why did it take 40 years? Well, we all know it's a count of uh, the sinfulness, right? The sinful uh, behaviors or hearts, uh, the rebelliousness, uh, the disobedience of, uh, of the Israelites. So whether it be by God taking his people through the wilderness or placing them under the oppression and slavery of greater nations, that God has done that many times over, not just as a punishment for their disobedience. And this is where the most wonderful thing that we discover about God really is. And we see this right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And many times over the years, I've heard people talk about God in two different ways. One, God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. And many people believe God of the Old Testament is just a scary God, right? He just kills people. He, he orders the Israelites to kill other nations, even women and children and animals. So it's a scary God. God of the New Testament is a God of love. Well, I believe that too. Until I discover something quite different. So just as an example, we could go all the way back right to the beginning of Garden of Eden. After, immediately after the fall of man through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. What does he say? So in their shame, Adam and Eve, they, they hide themselves. They cover their nakedness and they hide themselves. And God says in Genesis 3.9, where are you? Likewise, in chapter 4, verse 9, after Cain kills his brother Abel, God says to him, Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Does God not know (laughs) where they're hiding? Does God not know what Cain has done with his brother? He does so. He asks these questions because he wants them to come to him, to repent, to draw near to him. And we see it over and over and over. And in the chapter 42, in this last third section, as God is speaking these harsh words to his own people, look at what it says in the last verse. So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. What God does in bringing his people and placing them in in, in a situation of suffering is not just to make them suffer for their wrongdoing and and just sit back and just watch and go, yeah, you guys deserve that one. (laughs) And enjoy himself watching his people suffer. No, through it, what God is yearning for is, come to me. Understand that you, you have sinned. You have sinned against me. Repent and turn away from those things and come to me. And that's what our God is desiring all the time. 
And we see that here. I, mean, I think we can easily write it off as, well, these are disobedient people and God is just punishing them. Yes, that's partly true. But the greater truth is the heart of a father wanting his, his son, his daughter, to come to him. And that's the beautiful picture in the New Testament, the prodigal son, is it not? God allows him to do whatever he thinks is a good thing for himself. But every day he goes out there waiting for his son to return. And upon his return, what does he do? There's an embrace, right? Putting on uh, of this clothing, this party, right? He doesn't talk about, you know, I told you so. I mean, none of that is part of that story. And this is the picture of God that is consistent throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. And this is what we ought to see here. Even as he is chastising and bringing this affliction with his own hand, and that's, that's, that, this is what we read. But this is a people, in verse 22, plundered and looted, they are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey? And so it is the very hand of God that places his people in this situation of suffering and what are we told in the New Testament in Hebrews that God disciplines those whom he loves and considers as sons because if we are not disciplined we are illegitimate children of God and so in the hand of a loving father discipline chastisement is a direct expression and a communication of love. And this is where, okay, going into this, our response here, what does this mean for us? I think really, for me, it had an impact. And once again, through this, it had an impact on my heart once again. Because our tendency, when we go through trials, sufferings of different kinds, well, basically, I look at it as, there are three categories of suffering. One is a category of just life's troubles. Everybody has them, right? Getting sick and all these things. Everybody suffers life's troubles. Second thing is suffering as a consequence of our sins or our foolish choices that we might make. And so we put ourselves in that very, very difficult predicament at times. Um, And that's the second category. Third one is suffering for our faith in Jesus Christ. When we follow intentionally, knowingly, willingly, we follow Jesus Christ, and for that we suffer. That's called persecution, right? There are different types of persecutions, but it's a persecution, and we suffer through that as well. But in any of these, or all of them, there is a tendency for all of us, and this is what I discover in me. When I suffer, it doesn't matter for what reason, I start worrying. I mean, this is not, you know, different things that happen, right? I start worrying about things, and I start immediately looking at other things to give me answers to get me out of this situation. And it's something that I really, really don't like about my own heart. <laughs> it's like, I know a lot here, 
but I would like it for that to make a connection with my heart and in the way that I live it out. But I immediately worry about things, anxious about the future, and I start looking at other things as my savior. It's a big problem for me. I believe it's a big problem for the church. So what are we to learn? Well, let me just quickly go over um, the truths that I've discovered that summarizes in this um, summary of this chapter here. The first, disobedience leads us away from God to trust other things for deliverance. Secondly, God's faithfulness, love, and power are displayed in the deliverance of his people. Third, God uses suffering that we might turn to him. And his chastisement is a glorious display of his mercy, grace, and love for his people. Those being true, what is our response? What is our response of obedience as we receive this word of God? First thing, there's a third thing that is cut off, so I'm going to have to, if you have a pencil, you can write it in, but... What I wrote, the first thing is to trust Jesus to deliver us from all circumstances and to meet all our needs. Secondly, praise Him in word and deed for His great work of salvation and His faithful promises to us. Declaring praises of Him who has delivered us, right? From the great oppression and slavery to sin. And so being recipients of that, we ought to be declaring His praise in our life, in word and deed. And this ties in very closely with the very burdensome thought of being a witness or evangelizing, (laughs) which we all have. But if we can focus on what God has done and truly understand it, Does it take a lot to share good news with people? Generally speaking, we do it all the time. Whether talking about a great movie, a great restaurant, or whatever it is, we don't think twice about sharing good news. And why is it that we we are always burdened with sharing the greatest news of all? So we say, the greatest news of what God has done in His great mercy, in His great grace, in His great love through Jesus Christ, that is not just for a time, but it's for all eternity. How does that create a burden for us to share? The third point is thanking the Lord for the blessing of sufferings. Sounds like a contradiction, but in reality, it's, I've learned that it is not a contradiction. Suffering is not a bad thing. Suffering of any kind, pain of any kind is not a bad thing. Quick example, physical pain. None of us like it. I've been praying to God, you know, for God to relieve my dad of chronic pain. He's been living in chronic, with chronic pain for like over 10 years now. Pain is a bad thing, is it? can be. But pain is something that God has built into our system to let us know there's something wrong with us. I read a whole book on pain. 
learned a lot. But to summarize it, right, in a nutshell, is that without pain, we could be dying, but we don't know. So even physical pain, we have to be thankful if we really understand that. But pain and suffering in general in our life, under God, in the care of God, right? In the sovereign work of God in our life, what does God do through suffering? Well, He uses it. He uses it. And I'm going to quickly go back to what we've covered before with the book of James in the first chapter. Right at the beginning, verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking in nothing. I mean, many different places in the New Testament. Following the path of Jesus is a following the path of suffering. He's a suffering servant. And when we follow him, we cannot avoid it. We ought not to avoid it because suffering is an essential part of who we are. Suffering is a critical element in what God uses to do two very, very important things. One is to grow us, strengthen us, right? Strengthen our faith to grow us and to make us into the people that he desires for us to become. Secondly, in our sin, right? In our sinfulness, because Christians can be sinful too, right? We can be rebellious too, right? And oftentimes, we don't like to think that this is the way we are behaving, but we are very rebellious because we're resisting what God is urging us to do. And when we do that, God places us in situations of suffering. Not to punish us, but to love us. And if we are parents, if you're parents, we know this to be true. When our children behave in a bad way, well, one of the things that I had to learn early on uh, with my sister's kids first before my kids came along is to distinguish between what kids do in terms of just, they're just kids eh, and outright rebelliousness. (laughs) And when there's rebellion, there has to be discipline. And when we discipline them, what is that? Are we just... Are we hating our children? No. We're doing that to correct them, and we want to correct them because we love them. How often have I heard, and I used it too, when we go through different kinds of trials and suffering, a lot of times we call that blessing in disguise, right? For many years now, I got rid of that in my vocabulary because when when God's people suffer, it is not a blessing in disguise. It is blessing. It is perhaps, in my opinion, it doesn't say it in the Bible, in my opinion, when, we, when God's people suffer, there in that suffering is a greater display of God's love and His power. So there is blessing to, be, to, 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 to consider uh, in God's giving, but there's a blessing of God to be considered in God taking away. There's a blessing of God to be enjoyed and to be thankful for in the pleasures of our our lives, 
And perhaps a greater reason to thank the Lord for the pain that we go through and the suffering that we go through as believers. Because in that suffering and through that suffering, it is the loving hand of our Father that strengthens us, that provides for us, that delivers us, and does everything that we need for us to become the kind of people that He wants us to be. It is a very different way of thinking about these things. For me, it made a great difference. It is a difference between something really difficult happening and something you know, in me just like, I don't like it, right? And praying about it is a good thing, but oftentimes when I pray, I pray like, I mean, very simply in a nutshell, Lord, take this away, right? Take this away from me. I could do without it. Or I'm in a job situation. It's, it's, it's not a very good job. Lord, give me a better job. Or when we don't have a job, well, you know, God is preparing you for a better job or something. I mean, there's a lot of these kinds of things. And I'm not saying all those kinds of thoughts are bad necessarily, but I think we're missing the point. And we're missing out on a big opportunity for God to do great things in our life. When we, can, when we begin to see really what God is doing, and we can see through the Old Testament, New Testament, we can see presently, and when we can see what God is doing through suffering, ought we not to be accepting, right? Embrace these painful things and to say, Lord, thank you. It's hard, but thank you because I know that this is your work. That through your strength, if I can get through this in the way that you want me to, you are going to grow my faith. When I find myself flat on my face, at the lowest point, going through whatever it is, it is because God wants me to look up, look to Him, and draw near to Him because He loves me. Really, in a lot of ways, for me it was this way. It was a radically different way. Because I just wanted, like most people, I just want good things, right? Things that give me pleasure. Comfortable things. And who likes discomfort? Who likes pain? Who likes anything in that category? None of us does. But as long as we have that mindset, as long as we go through life that way, No, I think that's one of the really main reasons why a lot of us don't grow as much as we should. I think that's one of the main reasons why we don't see the great work of God in our life. Because we sidestep it. We we, we try to go around these things. My time is up. (laughs) Let me close with this question for you today. What are you suffering today? What trial, what tribulation, what hardship, what are you suffering today? And how are you dealing with that suffering? Brothers and sisters, look to the Lord, the one and true servant of God. He's the only one that gives us true hope. He is the only one that can deliver us. And He is the only one faithful with the promises that He makes.
regardless of whether that particular situation may change or not change, really doesn't matter. Because we have already received the greatest deliverance. And in that, we hold to Him, Jesus Christ, our deliverer, our redeemer, our treasure. Shall we all stand? And after I pray, um, as Steve always asks, if there's any of you, any one of you want to receive uh, prayers in in whatever you're suffering, because I think it is a good thing, as we all know, our Father desires for us to come to Him in all kinds of uh, prayers. And so it is good to pray for all these things. Uh, And so if you would like to receive some prayers, would you come up after I pray? Father, we thank you for speaking to us through Isaiah 42. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is not just powerful and scary, but from the beginning, Lord, you have displayed your mercy and your grace and your love for your people. Lord, help us to see that in our suffering, knowing that you use it to grow us, to strengthen us, and to turn us to yourself. Lord, as we uh, go on with this day and in this coming week, Lord, would you continue, Lord, to speak to us and to strengthen our hearts that through all different kinds of sufferings that we may go through, that we would be thankful, that we would be filled with joy and peace and strength through which you would be glorified. Lord, we love you. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.